Hello and welcome to episode 203 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and today we have on Eduardo Alvarez. Uh, he's a club owner out of, based out of Toronto, a health uh, club consultant. And Eduardo and I go way back to uh, junior squash, uh, junior nationals in Canada back in the day. He represented uh, Saskatchewan, I believe, uh, me, Nova Scotia. But uh, we met back then, and uh, our paths really haven't crossed until recently. Uh, I did notice, uh, did see an article on uh, Squash Mad uh, about a year or maybe more ago, and uh, it was having to do with growing the game and the uh, troubles that Squash is going through in light of the this amazing growth of sports like pickleball and paddle. And uh, Eduardo comes on the podcast today, and we discuss uh, the state of squash and what needs to be done to grow the game uh, in terms of, uh, you know, basically a grassroots level, but also from the perspective of a squash club owner, a business perspective, bottom line perspective. Uh, we talk about the closure of so many clubs uh, across, uh, you know, you know, across the world, but in particular, um, Eduardo has some insight on that and, and has done research on that with respect to uh, the North American squash scene. And he discusses uh, sort of why that's happened, what we need to do, uh, what he feels that we need to do as a community in order to to begin putting squash in a place where it can grow. Again, right now we're not there, and we're watching other racket sports. Uh, take over from us from where squash uh, perhaps once was but uh, paddle has really taken off pickleball has really taken off and we discuss why that is and sort of what the decision makers uh, in Eduardo's uh, estimation what they what changes need to be made and what sort of emphasis they need to make uh, right now in terms of, of uh, what what's being uh, done for the game so Eduardo Alvarez today on episode 203 of the podcast. I know you're going to enjoy this one. It was recorded actually back in November, I think, and I just got really busy. There was a bit of editing that had to be done because there were there were a couple of Wi-Fi issues. But uh, you know, I I did the edit, and this is uh, one of the better episodes. You're not going to want to miss this one. And please uh, contribute and give us some feedback uh, after you've listened. It's um, you know it's really important to our game right at, at this point in time because yeah we're going through a difficult time right now and we've seen as i said um other other racket sports more accessible to beginners more accessible to uh people uh, that have played uh, squash or tennis and getting a bit long in the tooth while well, they can get out there and play a sport like paddle and pickleball without much trouble well uh, what's the deal with squash? Why haven't we uh, thought about how to address that? Well, uh, Eduardo has thoughts on that, and we discuss that amongst other things on the podcast. So I know you're going to enjoy this episode 203 with Eduardo Alvarez. Uh, it's good to see you, uh, Eduardo, a fellow Canadian. Uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. I remember uh, I think it was maybe about a year and a half or two. Time just flew by over COVID. But uh, I think you wrote something for Alan Thatcher, maybe the Squash Mad website or the magazine about the the, the situation that Squash was in. And I forget when that was. Uh, it was a while ago. Uh, but um, that's sort of when I said, oh, there, there's Eduardo. I hadn't heard, uh, seen or heard from him for a while. Uh, we know each other through 
a little bit. I, I remember you through the junior national squash we played. Uh, I think we might have played a couple of times, but uh, uh, so it's good to good to have you on here. Just give us a bit of a backstory, uh, Eduardo, if you do, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure I lost you at some point. That's how I remember my my squash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I lost you at least once. But um, yeah. I, um, you know, I sort of, I uh, was a teaching pro for a long time and sort of um, fell into the, the club ownership side uh, by accident. I kind of was interested in it and um, it just worked out. It, when I moved to Toronto, I was teaching and uh, ended up uh, getting a Good Life franchise um, early, fairly early on in the company. And then from there, I've done different club projects and I currently co-own a club with my partner, Richard. Um, and I, I, we have four squash courts, but I'm well out of squash. Um, I don't play much anymore. Um, maybe coach now and then some beginners kind of thing. But um, anyway, so I, I just commented on an article in Squash Mad and then sort of met Alan Thatcher and we became, you know, fast friends uh, virtually and talked every couple of weeks and you know I was fairly opinionated about the state of the sport and we shared um you know some thoughts about where the game is right now um and yeah so I you know I'm I'm not in the sport he he uh educates me about what's happening on the world scene because of um world squash day which is coming up and in his PSA tournament so he's very um and the squash mad website so he's very plugged in whereas I'm not okay um, anyway that's that's kind of the backstory. Right on. Uh, by the way, you're uh, you know fellow Canadian Eduardo. I, I just wanted to bring this up. Uh, uh, maybe you. I'm not sure if you were a fan or not, but we lost a, a great man uh, last week. Uh, I don't know if you uh, you follow the Canadian comedy scene, but uh, Norm Macdonald from the uh, Saturday Night Night Live uh, days and the the, the Weekend Update. It, huge fan, huge, huge fan. And oh, yeah. sad day. I, I couldn't yeah. believe it when I woke up. My friends and I are actually on a te group text and we're having until five o'clock today to come up with our best Norm McDonald joke, like make well, one well, up. This is, this is what I was going to get to. Cause uh, you know, most of the, most my favorite Norm jokes are all a bit off color. So uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I do, uh, I'll, I'll tell you my, one of my favorites, which we, we can do here on the podcast. So yeah. the, uh, the dog goes into a, a telegraph, uh, a telegraph shop and okay. uh, you know, he goes in and the manager of the shop says, uh, so uh, you want to send a message? What can, uh, what can I do for you? And the dog says, yeah. woof, 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 woof. So he says, okay, all right. So that's woof, 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 woof. Okay. Well, I just yeah. want, okay, I've got the message, but I just want to let you know uh, you have one extra uh, message that you can give. We've got a deal on 10. You just gave us nine there. Yeah. And the dog said, well, why would I do that? Then it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, he was a great writer. My oh, yeah. favorite my favorite one is um, I just pulled it up because um, it was just on my screen on another tab. Um, I'll just read it. The richest girl in the world, billionaire Athena Onassis, celebrated her 10th birthday this week. 
what is it like to be the richest girl in the world? Well, to give you some idea, at the party, they had two cakes. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, that's awesome. terrible, that's awesome. You can just picture yeah. him, you know, yeah. it's so bad. Anyway, yeah, sad. Yeah. Sad day, uh, but uh, great to uh, commemorate him here uh, as well. But uh, hopefully we don't have uh, the same thing happen with, with squash, uh, Eduardo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's kind of, uh, you know, lots of clubs. clubs. We had uh, just recently last week, uh, Bobby uh, Ballinger, you know, Bob, I'm sure, uh, yeah. Bank Hall in, in Calgary uh, just closed. And that, that's one of the, I guess, in yeah. terms of the world scene, a prolific club, but a, a great club for downtown Calgary, you would have thought. Uh, but uh, having said that, uh, Bow Valley is reopening. The yeah, that's exciting. Aaron Thompson, so... Those guys yeah. like you, I think something that you said, getting people in squash, uh, running clubs and, and, you know, stuff like that, guys with a passion for it and with yeah. a, sort of an eye for, you know, how to promote the game, you know, yeah. given the circumstances. But uh, let's get started maybe with uh, sort of, it goes, goes without saying that squash has been, you know, it's been in trouble for at least 20 years, I, I would say. <laughs> Uh, it goes way back, and you 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 kind of alluded to that. But uh, looking back, and I know you've got your head around around this pretty well. Uh, what did uh, when did you recognize uh, things were beginning to to go uh, that way? Like the war- what were some of the warning signs uh, for you over well, the years? You know, I- I'm in the commercial club business, so I'm not in the private club business. I make that distinction. Private clubs are member owned, you know, shareholder driven, usually higher end clubs. So I'm in the commercial gym, commercial club space. And I started to notice a lot of courts being ripped out or closures um, and prior to COVID and, you know, at an alarming rate. And then during COVID, I, I went through, I'm a bit of a nerd. I went through every listing in U.S. squash and called an email to see the status of their courts. And I will not say the number of closures or court removals, but it was shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing in Toronto um, and in Sorry, Canada. This was pre-COVID, was it? Uh, pre- Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Yeah, so, yeah. so what I describe this is erosion, right? Like, you know, it's like when you own a gym, and you start losing members, they don't all walk out 400, 500,000 members at once. It just erodes. And that's what I see in the sport is, you know, people take some small Kamloops or something or a mid or small uh, urban area in Canada and two courts get ripped out. Well, they're the only two courts in the town and no Mm -hmm. one really thinks about it, but that's a big problem, right? Because getting those courts back is incredibly difficult and I see this erosion and you know I I always say like you know if you own a a nightclub or a restaurant and on Friday night it's packed and your friends come by and they think wow this is a going concern well it's not busy on other nights right so in the same way if you go to nationals or go to a, a private club where squash is doing really well it gives you the illusion that things are right. You know, I was at, you know, cricket or one of the clubs and it was really great seeing old friends. It was packed, lively. You walk away, you jump in your car and like, wow, squash is really doing well. 
but that's that's not real right um yeah. that doesn't tell that's not stats you no. know no that's an isolated uh situation i guess yeah yeah and it's easy to hang on that stuff right um you know the same thing you know if you own a club you you could it seems busy but that doesn't mean that statistically you have enough members or it's busy all of the time you know it it just happened to be busy so perception can be misleading and that's what i think we have in squash is you know you go to events and it it sort of reconfirms your feeling that it's sport is okay but no one's really looking at the numbers closely you know yeah. and that's my yeah. Well, I mean, what, what do you think, you know, you, you mentioned the, the commercial versus the private uh, thing, obviously you're, you're probably looking at, you know, commercially that that would be the way you would want to uh, develop or, or grow the game uh, again. I mean, pri private clubs are, uh, I'm not too sure how many people get involved that would want to get involved in, in squash or, or grow the game that way. But uh, how do you see uh you know, we see. I just see a lot of doom and gloom uh, out there when I read about this kind of, you know, what's going on with squash. I, and it's all well and good to talk about and to sort of highlight what's going wrong. But what do we need to get things back on track? Well, I think there's. So the first step is recognizing that there's a problem, and you know, I'll push back a little bit. Like there's a lot of general commentary about the state of the game but no one's actually looking at it really closely, like analytically, like looking at numbers, what, what's closing, why are they closing? It's just this kind of general um, idea, right? But people, you know, if you own Starbucks and you know, your airport kiosks are not doing well, you're hyper aware of that, right? Like we don't even know, like if you said to someone commercial club versus private, they wouldn't probably have not thought about that, you know? So we need to sort of go, okay, what is happening, you know, you know, one of the big problems is that we, we look at, um, you know, commercial gyms and have this expectation that they should have courts. So, you know, Lifetime or any of these chains, they're in the fitness business. If they have courts, it's just kind of a lucky break for us. So the first step in terms of solution is, you know, our people need to open our own clubs and we need to understand the club business not not the coaching business right so right. there's a lot of smart energetic squash people out there um but they tend to gravitate towards the coaching business within an existing environment right um right. as opposed mm -hmm. to the you know the gym business you'll get people that learn the back end of the business and then they go out and open their own club or chain of clubs that's how all these big chains got started right and usually mm -hmm. they learn sales business they learn Whereas, you know, we've got people doing coaching business and it's like, okay, that's great. You've got a coaching business within a gym, but what we need is to open our own clubs with gyms to help support revenue. You know, example of it is UFC, you know, so UFC gyms. Yeah. So they, right. they said, well, we're not going to get Jerry and Adam going to do, you know, mixed martial arts on a Tuesday at lunch, but we'll have a commercial gym with the culture of MMA and some MMA classes will promote that sport. We'll have an octagon within the, the, the club, but may not make no mistake, we'll, we'll, we'll bolster revenue with fitness. Squash could easily do yeah. that, but we sort of go, oh, you know, this chain took out the courts, you know, how could they? Well, why were they 
why did we expect loyalty from them? You know, like they're just running their business, right? And no, that, exactly. I think- no, I, I, I totally, I see what, what you're getting at. I mean, the UFC, they, they have those UFC gyms. They have an octagon in them, but built around that, as you said, is a gym and, and there's a program and, you know, anyone can go in there and do their, their so training, so to speak. And I think with squash, I mean, what I don't, and you mentioned it in the notes that you sent to me uh, uh, earlier, that uh, I think squash, there, there is something there that we're not tapping into. Uh, the Forbes study that, that came out all those years ago that, that rated squash as the, be- the, 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 the best sport out there in terms of workout. Uh, I mean, we should, we could be tapping, we could be tapping into that. Like, look, look at, look at um, what's it called? A circuit training, CrossFit, all these high intensity sports that are so popular with young people. Uh, squash is that. So in some way, we yeah, need I, to, I see, here's the, we need yeah. to tap into that in a way. It's in, not, not saying you know, there's got to be a way. I, see, this is the thing. I, uh, you know, I don't love that Forbes article because, no. mm. uh, because I'll tell you why um, we have been pushing. The, the, so the first thing to me is opening our own clubs. The second thing is we have to universally stop this top down approach to the sport. Mm. Pickleball yeah. and pedal proven concept. They've gone yeah. recreational bottom first and it works. We are a leisure sport, which means 90% of the people are casual users. These are people, and I know this from the club business, they play once a week, they're 30 pounds overweight, they're, they're, you know, they're not elite athletes, and they just want a social workout twice a week. And mm-hmm. what we're selling is technical training, talent pathways, leagues tournaments people don't want that they just want to come in once a week so when i look at my membership base at any club i've been involved with that was a big sort of uh eye-opening moment where i actually analyzed it and all the guys you see in the bar your tnd guys the guys that i'm a part of you and me that that's like five percent it's the guy that plays his brother at lunch once a week that's where the volume is and we don't we just are completely if you look at our social media and any You'll see pickleball will be like, you know, bring your dog to the courts day, cowboy hat day, you know, shovel off the courts to play. And then we'll see, you know, training tips from PSA star, you know, uh, profile of a PS, like nothing wrong with PSA, super important, but that's not what the average person's interested Mm -hmm. in. Right. And so we've got to go bottom up universally, start addressing the casual player and the ball is the problem in that and the yeah. mix, right? So if we want squash to be an accessible leisure sport, um, we have to sell social fun, moderate workout as opposed to hardcore, right? Which is, mm-hmm. which is, this is the, this is what the gym business understands is that, you know, the majority of people are just not in good shape and, you know, to me, we're just selling everything is sort of elitism. Like, you know, um, it's intimidating, you know, Um, it's, it's just not what people, you just go to a shopping mall, sit on a bench and look at people, 
you know, they're, they're all yeah. not in good shape. Right. And so, you know, you know, pickleball um, sort of embraces this casual participation where you show up, it's a round robin, there's casual coaching. Um, let's get you started. And it works. And what we do is sell training, elitism, hardcore, and, and just most people don't want that. And, yeah. um, you know, I think we, we have to be a leisure sport. And, you know, so part, one of the problems um, is that the ball has to, the game has to be easier to play. The double yellow dot ball isn't suitable for most players. Yeah. The progressive ball. Yeah, that's, Eduardo, that, that's a huge issue. I mean, at my, my club, that's all, that's all they have is double yellow squash balls. I mean, you, you can't find a, a ball that bounces for a beginner. It's, it's a huge problem for older players and for, um, you know, beginners. And the, the issue is that um, the progressive ball was, to my understanding, was created as a learning ball. Even the name sounds like the special school bus, right? Like it doesn't, yeah. it, it, it's progressive. Like it, it should be, this is the red ball and this is the ball you should be using if you are a DRC player. This is the sh- sanctioned ball. If you want to play with the yellow dot as a D player, you can, but um, the ball is just not suitable. And um, for older players, I mean, I'm 54. I can't play squash properly with a yellow dot ball. Like, you know, I can (laughs) really, like I I can sort of, you know, um, it's a, to me, it's a flawed game at my age because, um, you know, getting into the nitty gritty of it, if I go for a short front court drop, I can't cover the redraw. I probably, you're laughing because you probably said you couldn't do it when you were playing, but you know, yeah. <laughs> like, but the point being is that it, 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 the, the game as it's meant to be played is, is doesn't work. You know, if you can't, if you're not mobile and, right. and, and, you know, squash 57, well, I have, I'm not sure that's the, the solution either. Um, mm for a number of reasons. Um, but I think we need to fix the ball for, for the, you know, but this is, well, this well, I mean, that, that, that's the beauty of, uh, of paddle. I mean, I watched uh, a bunch of these young kids playing paddle. They obviously, you know, just picked up a racket and they were hitting it. They were, they were, everything was going well. They, they just, it, it looked as though they just played the game for maybe the first or second time. And that's unheard of uh, in squash. If you go on yeah. a squash court and try to hit a squash ball, good luck. Well, uh, you know, this is my, you know, anecdote for this. So my sister's in Saskatchewan. I have three sisters. Two of them live in Saskatchewan or Regina. They called me from the car giggling. And they said, Ed, we just played pickleball. And and I corrected them. You know, I, I, I didn't know what pickleball was really. And I said, oh, you had a lesson. And they said, no, we played. We played for two hours with a bunch of people. And, you know, they described the, the format. And I thought, well, this is a squash killer, right? Yeah. You know, I think they have probably 18 friends on their email list for pickleball already, right? Yeah. Um, well, to, I mean, no, I don't. I mean, I've got a, a similar story. My Whenever I go back home to Halifax, uh, I've got, you know, my, my mother's friend, he, he used to always ask me to play 
tennis, doubles tennis. Yeah. But uh, the last couple of times, it's been pickleball. And he's got to be, I want to say, in his late 70s. Yeah. And he's playing pickleball, and they're out there moving. They're just having a ball, you know? Yeah. It's See, pickleball, Padel, you know, what, what we're really selling is moderate exercise and social connection. That's what leisure sports are, right? And squash can do that. We can be really good at that, mm-hmm. but we're, we're just not selling it, right? Everything, the barriers to entry for a sport are massive. We have a huge problem in that we don't have organic venues where people can try it, like public tennis courts, that sort of thing. And, yeah. you know, if you want to play squash, you have to join a club, buy a racket, buy five lessons, go through a bunch of technical training, it's, it, it, it's just not, you know, and, you know, we have to switch to being a re- really good at being a leisure sport. And, you know, that's, um, we were like that and we can be like that, but the focus is so um, much about high performance. I hate that phrase. Yeah. Uh, you know, high performance, because it's, it's those people will find their way. I mean, you and I went through juniors like if you're an up and coming player, you'll find your, you know, your Neil Harvey's or your, you'll find someone that'll coach you or whatever. What we need to do is create such a huge base that these keeners prop, you know, sprout from that. Um, right. Right. And, and so that, to me, that's, you know, the next thing we need to do, but, you know, we're, we're talking about the Olympic bid and we're talking about, the Olympics, that's just a red herring. That's a distraction. We need to be focused on, like, look at pickleball. They basically showed us how to do it. You know, they're on TV. They have a a pro tour, um, massive growth They're They've basically given us the roadmap. So we just need to copy it. Um, in some, in, in the way that we can, we have certain limitations. It's almost like it, it's in the face of squash. I mean, we've been trying as an established sport. We you know been trying for so long to to gain entrance into the Olympics. Meanwhile, pickleball just sort of does its thing, and it's uh, well on its way. Yeah, we we you know we are basically the problem with our our sport is that because it's so established we're not desperate. You know, I've talked with U.S. Pickleball and other pickleball associations because we're trying to do some club projects and they're calling me, you know, they're emailing me, just checking in. And then, you know, when I talk to the federations or they're sort of, yeah, there's a sense of we, we got this, you know, thanks. But you know, there's, there's not sort of this desperate whiteboard startup mentality in our sport. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a bit, it's a bit sort of long in the tooth, like, you know, so established. And to me that we need to be whiteboard desperate, you know, like tech startup desperate. And we're just, I, you know, Alan and I just don't see that. You know, I, you know, I've been saying pickleball will take market share and, you know, we have to, and the, and the response has been, well, it's a different sport. You know, and I'm like, well, no, it's a racket sport, it's a leisure sport. Um, yeah, I think, I, mean, I think we we could easily say squash, uh, you know, squash dropped the ball. Yeah, you know. we're 
Well, we're, we, we have to focus on recreational play. And if we don't, um, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, pickleball, the next phase of pickleball and paddle or paddle are standalone clubs. So right now they've been playing in gyms and rec centers. There's a massive movement to pickleball clubs, similar to the 80s racket club. So right. there's going to be right. a ton of those on every corner across the street from every squash club. That is happening. So, you know, they, they will take market share. Anybody over 35 with a bad knee, you know, uh, they're going to gravitate towards those, those clubs. And, you know, we have to dig in. Like the, the mm. sport, um, for example, URSA, which is the governing uh, as the association for health clubs, um, you know, I think their last report said there was a 14% decline in squash participation within health clubs. And then CGB, which is a association for sporting goods, said there was a, also around a 14% decline. So if we assume that decline and then say pickleball now is, you know, grabbing a few players, you can see the erosion, right? Where yeah. we'll erode right back to only being in, in private clubs and, um, you know, the commercial sector, there just simply won't be an affordable place to play squash, which is almost the case now, you know? Um, yeah. like in Toronto, I'd be hard pressed to find a commercial club in each region. Like it's, it's getting to the point where there's not many around, especially right in Toronto proper. Um, so, you know, but, but what I'm seeing is there's not the urgency that I would like from, from, you know, federations, um, you know, and I understand. What would, you, what would you suggest? I mean, obviously, you you mentioned that the uh, the Padel or the the pickleball associations have been reaching out to you actively, uh, uh, and that's not happening in squash. So, what sort of what what would you suggest in terms of what what would you like to see? I would mm -hmm. like to see the World Squash Federation make a formal announcement of a move to building recreational leisure play. I would like to see the announcement of a new ball for recreational play that's marketed yeah. um, from Dunlop or whoever. I would like to see that ball sanctioned. Um, I would like to see um, the, the national federations and provincial federations have a handle communicating with club owners directly because they're the ones with the keys to the, the courts, you know? So, um, you know, I know a lot of club owners, a lot of people in the industry, and I know of a lot of clubs that are about to rip up courts. And, you know, Squash Canada, Squash Ontario, they need to be really in touch with these owners and to get the temperature, you know, of the room and say, like, how are you guys doing? Like, what's, are you, what's the status with your courts? Can we help? Um, you know, I went to a club, I, I know a, a chain of clubs and I went to, they bought one with a famous club. I won't say what it was with a lot of squash courts. And I, and I went there hat in hand asking them to keep the courts. They said, no, we're taking them out. And, you know, I don't know if anybody's aware of that. You know, these, mm -hmm. these, so we need to be, you know, the, the teaching pros are important. We need to you know, they, they need to be at the meetings, but you know, if I go to a squash Ontario meeting, I'm not seeing club owners there. Right. right. Um, yeah. 
and at the end of the day, I'm a squash fan, but there's many club owners that don't care about squash. You know, like if I'm a, a so basically, person, basically you're just saying the, the emphasis is in, in the wrong place. I mean, the, these guys aren't emphasizing the growth of the game. They're emphasizing the, as you mentioned earlier, the, uh, the, the established uh, part of the game, the, the elite players, the, 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 the pro development, uh, junior development, uh, at the, the higher levels, not the grassroots level. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at any social media feed from any squash, it's, it's off uh, reposts of PSA, PSA profile, um, some technical training tips from a pro, all of that stuff's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with it. PSA. I want PSA to explode, but Mm. you, you don't get, um, packed galleries for a PSA event, unless you have masses of casual players, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that, you know, they may not be able to play five times a week and do both drives and, and court sprints, but they can certainly buy a ticket, you know, every quarter to go see a PSA match, right? Like that's, you know, we have to understand how the casual player, what their needs are. Right. And I, I think we completely are off track with, um, the top down approach. And I think that's, you know, that was the, the idea is that if we build pro squash, then people will see it and want to play. That just does not work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Most, most people we're a leisure sport. Um, You know, we, we have to build it from enjoying it and then telling my friends. Well, it seems like right now, now we aren't the the, the squash is not a, a leisure sport. Is it? It's mostly us playing. Yeah. Oh, you, yeah, you know, you look at it, it, and it could be the signs of, you know, a sport in decline when only the people that have invested time and energy into the sport are left, you know, yeah. because when I look at the PSA comments, you know, say there's a PSA match, the comments are very astute. So that tells yeah. me there's a lot of A, at least A players commenting in the, in the feed, right? Because they're saying yeah. things that like an A player. So that tells me, that these are all guys that had played county or played, you know, provincial level squash or national level. And that's not what we want. We want a bunch of casual once a week guys. Mm. Um, You know, I'll tell you the exercise that I did, which was really fascinating. So I, I, a club I was involved with, I took a piece of paper and I wrote down all the, the Keeners, the Ed Alvarez's, the Jerry's, the, you know, the T&D guys, the guys in the bar, and I wrote them down in one column. <laughs> and then I wrote down, hand wrote all of the D once a week hacker guys. And it was like, I got to about 30 guys that were super keen, right? Like T&D yeah. guys. And maybe 250 hackers, right? So right. from the club perspective, in our sport perspective, we need the 250. right? Because that pays the bills, but we're distracted by the 30. And, and this is not to say that those people aren't important, but it's, you know, we're completely not understanding casual. The 30 will take care of themselves, right? More or less. And and I was guilty of that as a teaching pro because, you know, they're, they're talking my language. I see them at Mm -hmm. TND. I see them at the tournaments. Um, and then, you know, there's a guy sitting in the corner by himself, you know, waiting for his partner and, and go completely ignored. And, you know, the, the, what people want 
um, in my opinion, from, you know, just being in the commercial business, they want to do an activity once or twice a week. They have kids, they have careers, you know, they have other obligations and they want it to be fun and they don't want to be so hard that they can't walk for three days. So they want some moderate exercise, a social connection and um, ease, ease of use, you know, easy to, to, to take part in it. You know, it's not complicated. And, you know, we can, we can do that. Like, you know, the, the late Stuart Dixon, um, I used to run, uh, teach at his club, you know, he, he would, um, uh, you know, give me things to do and tasks. And one of them was this Friday night round Robin, which I basically stole and is, is, is the best. It's the pickleball system. And Stuart basically would have this Friday night, you could show up, you could, um, you know, bring a friend, uh, casual instruction. So I was there as a college kid with my clipboard and this dry erase board and, you know, okay, here's a racket, you know, this is how you serve from here. And it it was this low key way to get people They come out two, three times, and then they want to join the club. And, And that's, we need, that's what we need full stop. We, we don't need junior academies. We don't need, um, you know, we, I mean, those things are all fine. Like those, there's a place for all that stuff, but what we need is that kind of, um, uh, you know, casual play. And, and that's, you know, when I was a teaching pro, I took that to heart because I knew that I wasn't a big name player or coach. So I really tried to create volume at the recreational level because, mm-hmm. and I, I would often farm out if there was a keen player at my club i'd say okay i'm not your guy but you know mike weighs down the street you know go see him you know because because i I didn't feel you know i could maybe pull it off coaching but that that's not what i wanted i wanted like volumes of players you know how Um, how did you uh how did that at its uh you know success uh for you how did that manifest itself uh when were you like when you had success doing that what were your what were the keys for you well, that's how I, I, I ended up with that Good Life franchise because, um, you know, I, I basically on a Friday night, I would, it was like, you know, became sort of the party club. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I'd run into somebody at Starbucks and, you know, two guys are working office down the street and I'd say, what are you doing Friday? Come by the round robin. Oh, I don't want to play. Don't worry. Just show up. You got gym clothes? Just show up. And, you know, and then we're going for drinks after. And, and it was that casual thing. So these guys would come out once twice three times they go oh there's a gym here too and these are pretty good guys and mm-hmm. you know and it was it it, it it was just like the pickleball phenomenon it just was an easy sell there was no hard sell they didn't have to put money up front um and and it, it was no commitment they didn't have to sign up for a league or a course of steady um it was just kind of like yeah come by and that's what we need is is that focus on recreational um adoption of of welcoming you know and that's you know at its core that's what pickleball is doing when you when you get around everything they basically they find some courts you know they they hybrid lines on a tennis court they invite people and it's like three bucks and you show up there and there's three or four keeners you know you know jerry and ed are out there coaching for free and they get you playing yeah and and we don't have that in squash. Um, we, we, 
you know, and, and, uh, you know, I have trouble finding a pro because uh, what I'm looking for is, is just that, you know, I don't need an academy that, that, that doesn't help my club business, right. That helps the coaching business, which is fine. That's a good business, but, but the club business, what, what I need for my club to work is volume. Right. And you look at the coaching business. I was a teaching pro. So I get my 30, 35 lessons a week. Right. I'm on court 30, 35 hours. I'm, I'm exhausted. Um, I've got parents calling me about, you know, this and that. And, and then I have to go to my, you know, show up at some tournaments, either playing or coaching. So I'm, I'm not, that's not really the club business. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, we have to say, okay, what does the club business need to survive and, you know, focus on that, but, but we're not doing that. We're. Yeah. Well, it just seems, it seems now, uh, doesn't, it? it seems like we're, our backs are against the wall. It's almost like squash needs to sort of start from scratch almost and uh, build, build up again. Exactly. That's, that's exactly whiteboard startup mode. That's where we're at. But we're, you know, we're, you know, every time I go on social media, it's just, it's so yeah. far top there. Everything's talking about, you know, uh, PSA profile, you know, Canadian superstar. Great. That's, that's fantastic. But that's not what we need right now. Right. Like we need um, show up at the club round Robin. I mean, you know, one of the people that, that was making inroads in this was uh, Liz McBath in Toronto with the women's Toronto district league. She completely understood this. Um, And I don't know if it was her business background or just intuitive, but she would just have these drop in round Robin clutch social slash casual instruction kind of things. And she, you know, I, I, I think she probably sold five memberships for me just from that, mm. just, you know, she, she would do this and then women would be, Oh, I need to find a place to play. And then they, they'd find my club. So she was actually creating this casual play thing. And um, I don't know how we shift focus because many of the pros really do like coaching elite players, mm. um, you know, juniors, you know, and you know, there's good money in that, you know, because um, there's some key parents out there and keen kids, but, um, I, I think we're just, you, it, so my worry is that it's like a ship that can't turn. We're so yeah. far down, pop down mentality. And I'm not seeing it from any of the federations. I just seeing a lot of the same sound bites, you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah the fe- and, I think, I think we need, I mean, squash really needs to take a look in the mirror and, uh, you know, decide to, to make the change, to make some changes and, and to get, get things going yeah i mean i mean it's too late already so well i you know i laugh because you know um you know if i look at my club like if you look at for example tournaments um no one plays tournaments like tournaments are for five percent of the players right the majority of people again cat so so we need to have get tournaments back going you know, and, and tournaments. I mean, okay, that's fine, but that's that's not our problem. You know, um, 
you know, the, you know, leagues and things like that. That's not our problem. Our problem is um, we don't have um, onboarding for casual players and, and we're not really grasping that. Um, so, you know, I don't know what the, you know, you know, what, what I can do, you know, I'm, I'm in, you know, well, these, I mean, of, these are all great ideas and I mean, obviously squash Canada, uh, Steve Wren and, and those guys, they, they, they know, I mean, they're, they're really good people and, and love the game and obviously thinking mm -hmm. of ways to grow the game, but, mm, you know, we just, uh, we need to, to get it started. Things need to get, get going sooner rather than later and, and uh, you know I, yeah. these, these types of ideas that, that you have uh, I mean you you should be there I, I don't know if you've spoken to uh, any federations about this obviously you, with Alan uh, is, a, is a good person and person to have in the corner but uh, you know it's going to take more than than that yeah I mean I've you know Steve's an old friend he's a great guy you know, I understand the limitations of these federations. They're often one or two people in an office with a limited budget. They, they also have mandates from sport in general, you know, mm. things that take up a lot of their time. So I'm, I'm aware of that. You know, the, you know, the thing that I've been saying, and I've, I've emailed Steve and U.S. Squash, is, and, and I've actually been on email with Xena, World Squash Federation, I would, unless we focus on recreational squash, um, I'm very worried about the future of our sport because, um, you know, there's a, there's an assumption about clubs being available and courts being available. Um, we will very soon reach a point where there's no commercial clubs that are affordable for people to play. And I don't think people understand how difficult it is to build a club, to start a club. Like yeah. it, it, you have to get investors, you have to, or, or you have to get a lot of money um, to start the project. And with squash in decline, it's very difficult to sell that to investors or for someone personally to take that risk. Well, it seems right? to me like, uh, I mean, the only the only way you're going to build a club would be as if would be if you were the only club or one of two that were that the existing squash community would go to. It's not like, you know what I mean? It's not like you're going to be there for, you know, to grow the game. You're going to be there for the people who already play and perhaps their families. But yeah, I mean, you see, you know, three clubs close and then another club opens you know, and I, you know, to steal a quote, you know, that's shifting chairs on the Titanic, right? So, you know, three clubs close and then there's a bunch of squash players looking for a home and then someone opens a club. That's not growth. It, 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 in the aggregate, if you actually analyze it, we've lost clubs, we've lost courts and players, right? So these are the type of, of analysis that although it's brutal and hard to talk about, I, I find there's a lot of um, everybody's patting each other on the back and, and you know, you, you know, the, in a city, they'll say, oh, well, they just opened the club and say, well, great, but four closed. So we need to analyze both things, not just um, because what we'll f soon realize is that there's no more clubs left. And yeah. um, th that, that is of concern to me. So, 
um, you know, you know, all of this is about really, in general, shifting focus um, from uh, the coaching business, from uh, the this chasing the Olympic bid thing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a culture that's so ingrained in our sport, and it was a choice. I don't blame people for making that choice, but we now know that it doesn't work. We also have pickleball proven concept of bottom up. And so, and, and from a commercial perspective as a, you know, a, a commercial club owner, I understand that to be true. So I guess, you know, I guess the, I mean, the one way forward right now is for existing clubs out there, existing commercial uh, facilities that are out there is to take take this on and, and to try to sort of grow the game and to think of you know a different ball a different you know approach to bringing in members and, and start from there right and so you know and that's where we have to look at you know who the stakeholders are at that level so you know cl- you have club owners um you know to understand say the commercial gym business a squash program maybe three percent of the revenue right so if imagine i'm a, a club owner and i'm I've, i love the gym business i'm a fitness guy i love it that's not me but you know <laughs> you know and and so i've got these squash courts it's not a huge priority to me right because i've got other things um i'm selling fitness so when i do ads for fitness i may get 200 inquiries a month or 300 inquiries and for squash, I may get five inquiries, right. right? The squash pro will do 50 lessons a week and feel chuffed about it and feel like everything's growing. My 10% of that doesn't even cover painting the court lines. So the focus for these owners is not squash. So we have to, as an association, make sure that we are in their face and talking about squash because it's not a concern to them. Right. And so those people convincing them to do anything there, you know, if you said we need to do round robins, yeah. Okay. Whatever. I mean, do what you want. What you ought to, what, yeah. uh, And just to sort of, uh, you know, pick up with what you said there, I mean, give them ideas or come up with ideas for them in terms of how it can be a viable hopefully a viable option for them. It's, it's, it's just, you know, it's space to them. Right. Yeah. So we have to, we have to stop with this delusion that they are somehow as passionate about squash as we are. They, you know, they're, you know, I think Clive Caldwell had the best line, you know, squash is a subset of fitness, right. Where, you know, whatever people want, my customers Mm -hmm. want to work out. So if they want spinning, okay, let's do that. They, they don't have the, the love of squash that say Clive would have, or I would have to keep court. So, you know, we need to bolster that relationship and, and understand, you know, a lot of stuff gets dumped on the teaching pros, right. Where they, people assume, you know, this, the, the association is assuming the teaching pro is promoting the game. The teaching pro is assuming the association is promoting the game. People think the club owners are promoting the game. No one's promoting the no game. No one's doing it. Yeah. No, the club owners. You know, if I do social media ads, like we do, you know, Google and Facebook ads and um, all that stuff. Um, if I do an equal ad spend for fitness as to squash, 
you know, it may have 200 uh, or inquiries from, from ads for a month and I may get three to five for squash. So if I'm a non-squash owner, what would I do with that? Mm. Right. It, it would, you know, so a lot of what, what happens in, and you, you know, we all know this is, you know, the commercial clubs will say, okay, I've got this squash thing. There's, there's a few noisy people there. Um, I'll just throw a pro at the problem and, you know, just keep them happy. I'm not sure what I want to do with these courts right now. Um, and that's about as much thought as they'll put into it. Right. I guess, I guess, you know, based on what we've discussed here, maybe perhaps the exist existing way forward would be for a federation or for a group of, you know, group, get a group of people together and identify commercial squash venues and all the squash venues that, that exist and then go from there and start to say, look, we've got to take, uh, you know, if you're interested, first you have to convince them. If you're interested, we want to grow the game. This is, you know, let's put our heads together and see what we can do. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's important to do careful analysis of who the stakeholders on. I think, are we, we we're so general in our language right um you know in the u.s if you look at where are the clubs located i actually plotted all of them on a google map um so lifetime fitness is a big player in squash yeah. in the u.s yeah. they have a lot of clubs but then once you get away from that there are not many commercial affordable commercial clubs around and so lifetime for example is someone that has to be nurtured because they could have a board meeting and decide we're not doing squash anymore just for whatever reason. Right. And, you know, they may say we're not going to include squash in any new builds moving forward. Right. So I don't know. I mean, LA fitness, you know, the big chains, um, you know, I hear rumblings that they're not, that, that these chains are moving away from squash. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, th these are relationships that we have to nurture, um, you know, because they have our courts. And then we also have to, figure out ways to build our own viable clubs and, and not vanity projects, squash only, um, you know, kind of niche clubs. I'm talking about a fitness club with squash. That's a viable business that can grow uh, exponentially throughout yeah. North America or the world. Like we don't have that. Um, we, we hope hat in hand that these commercial gym chains are going to keep our courts Um and what reason do they have to do so? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they, 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 they're not, they're in the commercial gym business. You know, it's like they never said that they were squash people. Um, that's, we inferred that. And we, you know, we just need to figure out our own, have our own venues. And I, I, well, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think we've, pretty much discussed exactly uh, what squash needs, where the issues are, and, uh, you know, perhaps a way uh, to go forward. I mean, it, it's obvious we, we have to start from scratch and we have to not be afraid to, to try things that, you know, we haven't tried before uh, in terms of growing the game. Yeah. I, we, we I, you know, and I'm, I, I, so I'm at a loss right now because in terms of um, Alan Thatcher and, you know, Richard Millman, perhaps, um, well, Richard as well, um, we feel 
that there's not an awareness of the problem, an acute awareness of the problem. Um, we have to understand that um, there is a huge problem with massive court closures and we do not grasp the idea of recreational play. Richard Millman shares the same idea, Alan Thatcher from years in the game, from observing how people come and go and how, how players enjoy our sport. And when I look at everything that's coming from associations and federations and not their fault, I'm not throwing them under the bus. I'm just saying that it's not what we need. And my wish would be that the World Squash Federation stands up and says, we are going to spend the next five years hyper-focused on recreational play. And yeah. that's all we're going to do. Well, that's what and, World Squash Day is all about, isn't it? Oh, and, and World Squash Day, you know, there, there's a lukewarm response to it by some associations. And, you know, this is my line for that. Um, if you're a federation, provincial or national, and you have no app marketing budget, and you have no staff and no time because you've got other things that you have to do. World Squash Day is a packaged marketing vehicle that's very slick and very tight waiting for you. Yeah. It's all why, done. Why, low, not, why not throw a little bit of money into that and, and advertise it uh, throughout the community if, if you're a squash uh, federation? I mean, you've got a bit of money. That, that'd be something, you know, get a radio campaign or something going. Right. Right. That, that's exactly right. I mean, that's that reminds me of, you know, what the provincial and national associations, what I should see is when I go on Google, I should see an ad pop up that says looking for a fun workout and social activity, try squash. And then it should link to Squash Canada. And then there's a intake web uh, web form. And then basically it's it's funneled to a participating club like we have the venues. Right. So we could easily execute advertising and um, and just promote the game. Yeah, every it makes complete yeah. sense to get involved for everybody. Right. Like I would love to see Squash Ontario running ads. And then um, all of a sudden I get an email, you know, Joe Smith and Frank, you know, fill out the web form. They live near you geographically. They're close to you. And we would do the one month free trial or whatever. Um, call to action offer that we could give them because we know that we can sell a membership and there's there as a club owner, that's exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and that's a complete recreational focus. Um, and, you know, then I'm, I'm listening, you know um, but, you know, until we get to that point where we're absolutely focused um, on recreational bottom-up growth i worry and and i feel like there's so much um uh there's so many people that are still of that mentality of top down yeah um uh you know it's uh you know like this idea of the juniors well, you know squash the, isn't in in the position to be in a top down uh to be a top no. down type sport i mean uh You've been great with your time, Eduardo, and uh, yeah. I, I did want to ask, uh, uh, sort of bring this up too, and it's apples and oranges to me. I mean, you've got a place, like, uh, a country like Egypt, uh, and in Egypt, uh, obviously, participation levels are seemingly, uh, th you know, through the roof. 
And uh, it, it's a sport there from what I know and from people I've talked to around here and uh, Egyptians that I see at my club here in the UAE, it's the second most popular sport in Egypt. So, but, I mean, what, what they're, I mean, it, to compare what we, what we're going through and what Egypt is experiencing is not sort it's not indicative of the, the situation at all. But, but is it? See, this is one of those ones where, you know, okay, Egypt is producing the finest squash players ever in terms of just like sheer numbers and mm. professional ranks, um, the style of play. They're exciting, uh, charismatic, uh, fantastic players. But the population of Egypt, I believe, is around 100 million. So how many squash clubs are there? 20, right? So we mustn't confuse uh, professional elite growth with viral growth, right? And that's one of the mistake, mistakes we make in our sport, right? Where we say, oh, Pakistan, you know, produces, you know, that was in the 80s, produced all these top players. Well, but is it a, is it a widespread popular sport or do they just happen to produce, this is the Egypt is a really good, interesting model because it's it's sort of like okay, how what's the population? How many squash clubs are there? How many people play? And you know, forgetting that there's a bunch of really top players, what's the actual uptake in general in terms of the population? For example, in the U.S. college squash, the population is in the U.S. is 320 million. I believe there are about 2,000 college squash players. So these are stats that we can get. These are shiny objects that can distract us and say, well, is squash um, universally viral in Egypt? Or is it just a, still a niche sport, but they happen to produce the finest squash players in the world? Hmm. Do you know that's what I mean? A, like, yeah. it's, that's a good it's question. So, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that, uh, really. Right? Yeah. That, the, the, these are when you start doing analysis, that, that's exactly the, you know, the point I'm trying to make is that you, you can't get distracted. You have to look at the actual stats, right? How yeah. many people play squash in Egypt? How many clubs are there? How many people are there? Because I was told there's, you know, 20 squash clubs in Egypt. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's 500, but that's not viral. But I think they're, their version of a club is much different from our version. I think their clubs are like massive. Uh, like right. Big, big facilities where they, you know, they play, it's sort of like um, the, like a winter club or whatever, you know, like a big facility where they all go after school with their families. Um, I could be wrong there, but. Uh, right. I, I've heard that too. I mean, I don't know, but, you know, my point is I, I have no idea, but it, mm. it, it we mustn't confuse um, you know, what we perceive is, is volume as that it's so, right? Because the stats can tell a different story. So for example, say there's 20 clubs in Egypt and they're packed. I mean, and they're producing kids like, you know, every 15 year old's about to be the next Rami. Like it's just nonstop. That, does that mean, can we infer then that squash is universally popular throughout the entire population or is that a niche demographic and a subset 
of a wealthier population? Is it a, a, is it a, a certain city? It, you know, these are the stats that if you, if you were, if you owned a business and it was called Squash Inc., you'd say, yeah, we, we've, we've got a lot of pro squash players, but we've only got, you know, 5,000 people playing our sport and the population's 100 million, right? Like, yeah. this is the, the critical analysis we're not doing. We get distracted by the shiny objects and um, we're not looking at, okay, it, is that growth? Um, if, if that's even what we want, you know, if we yeah. want universal popularity, then we have to look at those markers. This is the thing. It's, it's, it's like the analogy of, you know, you go to the restaurant on Friday night and it's packed, but it's empty the rest of the time. Right. Like you, you know, those are great stories like that. that there's kids cheering and, the, and it's packed, but all I care about are the stats, right? Because yeah. how many people play, how many people play rec, how many clubs are there? Um, all of that stuff. And it's easy to get distracted by a, an event. And I, you know, I call them the shiny objects, right? Because, you know, we go there and we're distracted, but okay. So there was a tournament in Egypt, it was packed and it was a great, great matches and great venue. Okay. What are the stats, right? How many people play? How many, how many tickets were sold? Like all of that stuff. Yeah. There, I never see any analysis of that. And no, we don't know. Um, we don't know. That, we don't that's, know. The, that's the million dollar question. Right. Yeah. It's like, okay. You know, they, and, and this is, this is a, a symptom of um, top down and, and general analysis. You know, um, if, if, if you and I say we owned a, a business together and and we were never there you were in dubai and i was in canada and the place was in sweden or something and you know uh the the manager phoned us and said i was packed on friday night absolutely great time a lot of people had a really it was a special night great talk to you next month like <laughs> we wouldn't be satisfied with that would we yeah. like yeah. we'd say how many did you sell what were the expenses Yada da yada. And this is what's happening in squash is we we just take these little so I just sort of okay, great. There was a, a big of a tournament. Okay. Um, how many people are playing? How many people quit? You know, um, that's all I care. And and, and that's because I'm a, a journeyman small business owner, right? So right. Right. I look at now you're coming you know, at this from a from the perspective I think that we we need to hear from. Uh right. In terms of growing the game. Yeah. Like I, you know, did we sell more memberships than we lost? Right. So at the end yeah. of September, you know, how many people quit the club? How many people join? <laughs> and, and so I'm not, I'm not fooled if the pro phones me and says, we had a Friday night round Robin was packed. Okay. My next question is how many people quit? How many people join? Right. <laughs> yeah. And this is what we're not doing in squash. We're simply, um, chasing all these kind of vanity projects and these, and PSA is kind of the, sh the, the shiny object because they, they do a nice job. It's a nice yeah. product. It's, it's, it's the, the athletes are, are cool, but. But like you said, like, like you said, that's when we see squash, that's what we see. That's all we see. And, yeah. And okay. Yeah. So if, if I send that to, 
you know, um, five of my friends that don't play squash, they'll watch it and they'll go, yeah, cool, whatever. Yeah, it looks cool. You know, um, it, it's not, that's not what's going to get people playing. Um, but if you come to a round robin, you have a few laughs, you, you know, get your heart rate up, um, you meet some nice people, that might get you playing, right? Yeah. No, exactly. um, and that's what we need. And we think that suddenly somebody's going to be sitting in their office watching a PSA clip and, and like a zombie get up from their desk and go <laughs> to the nearest squash club. Yeah, It's yeah. like, it never happened, it, you know, no. anyway. No. So well, great, great uh, catching up with you and uh, keep up the good fight because I, uh, you know, all of this stuff that we've talked about today, it, it's absolute, uh, you know, things that squash needs, we need to take care of uh, yesterday. So, uh, yeah, really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. It was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, many thanks to Eduardo for that and plenty of food for thought for us in the squash community there. Uh, really want to thank him. I want to thank also uh, Alan Thatcher and Richard uh, Millman for the efforts that they've been putting forth in order to try to overcome the state of the game at the moment and to present us with so many options and ideas. And, uh, you know, some of them might stick to the wall and some may not, but at least uh, they're out there giving it an effort and in an attempt in an attempt to keep our game alive and in an attempt to try to see it grow once again and that's a the perspective of where Eduardo is coming from. So thank you again so much, uh, Eduardo, for today. And everybody, uh, thanks again for listening to this pod. Uh, we've got a few more upcoming in the not-too-distant future, so stay tuned for those. Enjoy your squash. I hope everyone's healthy and well, and have a great day. Goodbye now.